And so you're building this brand. So if somebody comes along and steals it, you're out the brand that you've built. And then they can tell you, I want you to rebrand because I own it. So take down this website, stop using this logo. When you think about it in the grand scheme of things, the time, the energy that you put into building your brand, plus the money that you put out marketing, getting your website built, getting your logo designed, it would really suck to not actually own it and have to rebrand at some point. Coming to you from the City of Roses, this is the broadcast by Lash Professionals and for Lash Professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, we have a treat for you. We have a lawyer on board. Everyone's like, oh, what? A lawyer? Yeah, yeah. This is a really cool lawyer. Why is she cool? Well, she still is and was a beauty professional first. Kind of cool. One of her own is graduated into the higher ranks of the world. Is a lawyer. Her name is Rihanna Green, and she has a company called She Trademarks. And if you came to LashCon last year, you maybe got to see her. She actually had a class, and it was really cool. Her was really good stuff about her, and that's why we had to have her come on the podcast because she really knows her stuff when it comes to trademarks, and she's here to serve the lash community specifically because, or the beauty, I think, in general, but because she has such a heart for it because that's where she came from. And we're really excited to have her come on and just share all things trademarks. So you're going to get a lot from this one. And, by the way, if you really like her today, you can see her again. We're bringing her back to our day one, basically the pre-event or bonus event that happens on Friday just before LashCon. We're bringing her to day one and she's going to do a whole trademark um, webinar or not webinar. (laughs) It won't be a webinar. It'll be live seminar for you. A couple hours, break it all down and give you everything you need to know so that you can go out and trademark effectively and do this stuff so that you don't have to wonder or hope or guess or, you know, or end up like us, not even owning your name. Like LashCon, not our name. We can't own it because uh, we didn't understand trademarking at the time. Anyhow, let's get into a quick announcements because since we're talking about LashCon, let's just get into it. Tickets are up and going for sale now. VIP tickets, $9.97. Standard business tickets, $6.97. Buy them now because tickets will go up, and they, I actually think VIP will be sold out eventually, if not already. VIPs will go quickly, and then the standard ticket, thankfully, we have a lot of those, so you hopefully can get in with that no matter what. And, by the way, we're changing things up. No day one ticket. Why? Well, because we're doing these add-ons. We'll just call them bonus classes that you can take. So if you really want to go... You can buy the standard ticket and still go to day one. Last year, you had to be a VIP. Now, you can buy a standard business ticket, and you can add that basically the day one. And we lowered the price a little bit for day one. It was $400 last year. This year, it's $350. Because we're trying to get it as low as possible to get as many people in. So we lowered the cost. So day one is on Friday, and we have, as we just told you, we have Rihanna Green going to be there. And we also have Janine Lepford going to be speaking uh, really about creativity and helping you with that. And we're going to do some mastermind work together so you can network and connect and help each other with your businesses. So it's a really a great, very impactful day. Lunch and breakfast are both included with it. Then in the evening, we have another add-on called Lash Booth Collective brought to you by SoCo Lashes, Beautylicious, and my brand lashes. Jenna, Ashley, and Gretchen are going to be teaching you how to grow your business. And that's a three brands coming together to cooperate and help you. So that will be on Friday evening on November 4th. Then we have Lash Lab on the next day, 
And there we have Auto Mitter, Anna Timonina, I am Designer Pro, Ali Lilly from Lash Anarchist, and Tusney, my wife, are all going to be teaching courses for only $150, a three-hour course for $150. Otto's teaching about lamination. Anna is going to be touching about photographs or talking about photographs. Allie's going to talk about the slay, the strip lash look, and Tustin's going to do her allergy course. All those live in person at on Saturday morning before LashCon, which really takes off more in the afternoon and evening. So you can get some bonus stuff in there and then get into LashCon and really go at it. So these are all add-ons. Look for that when you buy your ticket. You can buy your main ticket, and then there will be a place afterwards to go in and click and add on any one of these things. Now, you can't do all the Lash Labs together. They're only done, and we're not recording them, so you won't get them later. You have to come and take it in person. And then we also have a breakfast with for salon owners, which I'll be doing on Saturday morning in case you're a salon owner we want to hang out with you and i don't know just bless you and and talk and connect and network so that'll be that also guys we have our last cast insider club you want to join that please do that's how you get heads up on things and how you get discount codes and all that you definitely want to sign up just go to the show notes and sign up today and then Tustin's next retention course is actually i think this is coming out we're teaching it first in austin so it's probably too late for that but our next one will be in new york in may may 14 15 then los angeles june 5th through 6th so there's still one or two spots for new york and la we have a few more so go and sign up if you want your last go four weeks this is your course Okay, that's all I have for announcements, guys. Really excited about having Rihanna here. She is really a sweetheart, and we really enjoy talking to her, and you're going to get so much from this. So let's get into our talk where we sit down and talk about trademarking. Hey guys, we're here in the Lash Cast Studios, excited today to bring a lawyer in the house, something we've never done before. Rihanna, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, no, it's really cool because something that I think our industry doesn't really know they need, or maybe they do, they just don't look into it, is everyone needs a lawyer. Everyone needs to know a lawyer friend, someone they can call in that day of trouble, because if you've been in business more than probably six months, at some point, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have issues. And having someone in your back corner that you can talk to and rely on is great. And I know you've been uh, really serving our industry and you spoke at LashCon and we're excited to have you come here today to really talk about trademarks. But we're, we're going to maybe go beyond that and talk a little bit bigger because I know you do more than trademarking. So it's excited to have you here today. Yeah, it is definitely a good idea to have an attorney in your back pocket, in your corner, somebody that you know and can trust because no matter how we do business, no matter how perfect we try to make our business, issues arise. And when those arise, you have to have the protection that you need and you need to be able to know who you can go to for those issues. So I'm happy to be here, happy to help the beauty industry and give some information today. Well, I just want to brag on Riona for a little bit because it's always awesome to have somebody who speaks your language. And she certainly does because she is not just an attorney, but she is also a beauty professional. She still has her license. So it's so helpful for somebody who understands our industry. You speak beauty, like you understand the issues that we have. She knows the pain. She knows the pain. (laughs) It's not like you have to educate somebody before you talk to them. She knows the ins and outs. And that's why she's so primed to help us. Well, why don't we, real quick, let's find out a little bit about your your background. You can share us, uh, just, instead of us telling you who you are, it'd be great to have you tell us a little bit about your background and all that. Sure. So I am a hairstylist turned attorney. That's how I like to describe myself. That's just who I am. I've been licensed as a beauty professional since 16. I was a nail tech first, 
And then I continued on, got my Cosmo license at 17. And I have been licensed ever since. My license actually just came in the mail the other day. <laughs> Don't use it anymore, but it's great to still have, it's a backup right? Backup plan if you need it. Yeah. <laughs> great backup plan if I need it. And beauty is really, I love it. It's funny that you mentioned last con. That was the first beauty show that I had been to in a while since I was doing hair. And I'm used to going all the stuffy attorney conventions now. So when I was back at LashCon, I was looking around. I said, ooh, everybody's so pretty. Everybody's so edgy. You know, everybody's <laughs> hair, nails, like the whole beauty industry. I was like, oh, this is the industry I love. So it's really just great to be able to combine my law with beauty and make something of my own that helps the industry that I love. No, that's great because I think really, I mean, we've we've shared in this podcast, we shared our troubles that we've had. We've definitely needed to have better lawyers in our court back in the day. But that said, it's something that we don't think about probably because everyone's scared because of price. They also probably look at and they think of some people in suits that look really intimidating and they don't have time for you. I know when I first started dealing with lawyers, I was very scared and I found out they're just like people like everyone else. They're not they're not scary people. They maybe talk a, a big talk and walk the walk. But in the end, there's still people and they want help. I mean, if you find the right people, they want help. In fact, I know that you were sharing with me before we got on this thing that if you showed up at LashCon, it was like, wait, you're the lawyer? Like you were just this average day, regular gal coming in, just trying to help people, not intimidating, very friendly. And I think that you kind of broke the stereotype for what a lot of people think a typical lawyer would look like or act like, I guess. It is so funny. I actually took a picture with my LashCon twin. Uh, I was walking through LashCon and I saw somebody who almost had the exact same outfit on me. I was presenting that day, but I had on like these black leather pants and a silky like cream top. And she had a hat on and some boots, but we were like almost twins with the silk top, the <laughs> leather pants. And so definitely I can understand why somebody was like, Hey, wait, that's the lawyer. I didn't expect that. Where's the suit? You yeah. Know? Where's this as intimidating person walks in brooding and, and it gets mad at you. If you ask questions like that's a dumb question. Don't ask that. Like, I mean, it's just, there's a lot of stereotypes I think people have about lawyers. So, You've done a good job of breaking that breaking down that mold mold for us and and all, and coming to last con I think it was great so let's get into trademarks I think that was something that most people in our industry don't take the time to do I know we didn't we actually our, our quick story about LashCon. LashCon we had taken three years ago, and I was just about to file. Actually, I just had filed the, the trademark paperwork, and then I went and did the research, which I didn't do before, and realized, oh, wait, someone else has already filed. Three weeks before. Three weeks before us, and they were a major beauty brand. Um, not a Lash brand, but a major brand who just thought they'd LashCon sounds like a good name you should For own. a product. For a product line. So I decided to still file, and then I talked to the lawyer later, and he was like, yeah, and then, oh, they reached out to me and sent me a cease and desist. And literally, LashCon was only a month out. And like, you can no longer use this name. You got to dump it. And I was like, I begged them. I said, please, just let us go through and finish our LashCon. And they'll take it. I'll give it up. I gave them the domain and all this stuff. But uh, they basically were kind enough to let us use it for another month. And then we did wrap it up. And technically, LashCon is no longer ours. But it was because I didn't do the research. And also, I was told by a lawyer, like, do not try to fight them. They will keep you in court forever, even if you have the rights for it. It doesn't matter. You, you'll you spend more money than you'll ever want for this thing. So we decided not to pursue LashCon as a conference because they were taking it only as a product line. Technically, we're the Lash Conference, yeah. but everyone saw it as Lash Conference. That's our nickname. 
It's, but in print, it's always Lash Conference. Don't, don't put it in print anywhere. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. So, anyhow, that's our troubles that we've had. I know other brands I've heard, talked to have had a similar problem. So, Like, you look up something, and, and that you might see many different salons with the same name, like Wink or something like that, yeah. which is very common. So, it's important to know about these things. Yeah, it is. So, let's... Real quick, I thought the first thing to help explain, because I don't think people maybe know the difference between like a copyright, a trademark, a patent. There's all these different terms that people use when they want to claim some sort of name or something like that. So I want to make sure that people know exactly what we're talking about. Maybe you could give us some definitions about those different things that people might be applying for. Sure. Trademarks are basically your intellectual property for your business name, your brand name, logos, slogans, catchphrases. That is pretty much your brand identity. So anything that you are using as your brand identity to advertise or market your goods or services. So your goods, maybe a product line, your services, maybe your lash services, your salon services, that type of thing. It's really your brand identifier. Copyrights are basically um, another way to protect intellectual property, but it's more so for original published or unpublished works. So in the beauty realm, you can think of eBooks or courses that you're doing that kind of go over different things. Anything that you create technically has a copyright, whether it's registered or not. So that is the difference. Your eBooks, your recipes, music is oftentimes copywritten, that kind of stuff. And then patents are really for inventions. They're really for unique designs. So if you have a new way to do a water bottle, a new design for a water bottle or a new hat design or something like that, that's really going to be a patent. If you come up with some new technology or new way of machine that does microblading or permanent makeup or something like that, you might be able to get a patent for that utility, that machine. And that's the difference. Really in our space, most people are going to be dealing with trademarks for their brand recognition, their services, that kind of thing. And a little bit of copywriting if they have eBooks or how-to guides or things like that. Now, with copywriting, because I do know a lot of people are now beginning to produce, right, content, and because it's easier than ever to distribute ebooks, like I said, or webinars, or even their own personal trainings where they have trainings and they probably have a handbook they give people. Is copywriting, from what I understand, I remember copywriting is a lot easier than trademarking because you can just self-copyright. Is that correct? Or is there a, a big process to that too? You can register it like the same way you would register a trademark. And both copyrights and trademarks have basically a common law right? And then a federal right. So with your common law rights for trademarks, if you're using a name and you've been using it for a while, you technically have some common law rights to that name. But it ends up, like you said, if somebody goes and trademarks it first, then it ends up being this whole litigated matter type thing in order to get those rights. And then even if you do get those rights, say you were only using them in three states, they might just carve out those three state common law states for you. Okay. That's how trademark works. Copywriting is Technically, when you create something, it's automatically copywritten or has copyright protection. But then you can also do registering it the same way you would kind of register a trademark. Yeah, I used to be a wannabe screenwriter. And actually with a uh, screenwriter, the, the way they taught us to do uh, stuff was to actually mail yourself your script. 
and have a stamped. So that way you could say on this date, I finished my document and here's when I mail it to myself. And you can keep that as your proof of when it was originated, I guess, in case someone else pops up with the same script or same idea. And it's like five years later and go, well, actually, I have this sealed mail thing. I don't know how good that holds up in the court of law today with all the digital and all the stuff. But that was like 15, 20 years ago. That was the, the, the cheap way of protecting yourself. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, there are rights that are common law or just happen as you create something, as you start using something. But obviously, the better protected way to do it is to register it officially. Yeah, and for me, it was going to the Writers Guild, but I'm sure with print content, there's other things that, is it all federal or are there other organizations that like the Writers Guild for screenwriters, you register with them and now you legitimately for five years or seven years, that script is actually recognized or has a, a timeline attached to it. Is there other things like that? I'm not sure how it works for like the Writers Guild, but okay. you can do it through the U.S. Copyright Office and kind of similar to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. You would fill it out, do your information that way, get it registered. So what are some things you would not trademark? When it comes to trademarking, I talked, obviously you just gave us some of the things you would, like everything from your name to a catchphrase to maybe a slogan, marketing stuff. But what are things that maybe people often think, oh, I should trademark this? And like, no, 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 you can't trademark that. I think what happens is, I don't know that there are things that I would necessarily say I wouldn't trademark. I think people get confused along the three that we just talked about. So I think people are like, hey, I'm going to trademark this ebook. And you're like, well, that's not actually a trademark. One, one I think is interesting that people don't realize they can trademark is colors, like brand colors. You can technically trademark your brand colors. Wow. Yeah. If they're used to identify your brand, you can trademark it. Fun fact. UPS, the brown that the, all of the uniforms are in, that's actually trademarked by UPS. Oh. So you can trademark colors. There goes my wardrobe. I wear that brown all the time. I don't get oh. Or like the green, <laughs> yeah. the green for Starbucks. Is that trademarked too then? I don't know about the green for Starbucks, but the orange for Reese's Pieces, that orange that they use on oh, all their candies, yeah. that's trademarked. The pink in the magenta for T-Mobile, that's trademarked. So all of those colors that you typically associate with that brand, you never see UPS in any other color. The T-Mobile, that magenta, you always see. So I would be shocked probably if Starbucks didn't have that green trademark. Now, with that type of color, I guess, trademarking, does that mean that obviously people use those colors elsewhere, but you can't use it in a competitive business? Like there can't be another shipping company that uses that brown? Is that how it works? Or can or do they own that color and if you use that brown, you could be sued by UPS? No. So that's a good question because I think that happens with trademarks in general and not just color, but any type of thing that someone trademarks, it is really only pertaining to the goods or services that they've registered in. So to your point about UPS, if it is, if that Brown is trademarked for services pertaining to package delivery, then that Brown is protected for services pertaining to package delivery, probably their service trucks too. Right. Yeah. But what happens a lot in the beauty realm that I see, which is like one of my main tips for beauty professionals when they're trademarking, is to really look at what all they want to trademark, what they want protection in, because it's not blanket protection, like you said. So if somebody has a salon and they're like, I'm going to trademark my name Luscious Lashes for the salon, then they can do that, but they're not now protected for Luscious Lashes for products. They need to register in that class for products. Or if now they're going to do luscious lashes training, they're not protected for 
training and education unless they also register in that class. And so that's a common mistake I see in the beauty realm when it comes to trademarks. So yeah, definitely making sure this is why you need a lawyer, because if you do it yourself, I've seen the paperwork and it's a lot of stuff to look through and I, half of it's Greek to me. And I originally with Lashcast didn't register for enough stuff. I think I was, it was you who brought it up. Like, oh, you should make sure you register in this. I'm like, yeah, I didn't think of that. So I need to expand my scope with Lashcast and what we're being registered under or what it's being used for. So yeah. There's a lot to learn here, and that's why you need someone who has a background in this. Because I've left on your own, you do things dumb like I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you don't know what you don't know is what it comes down to. And also, an attorney can help you think about the future. So you might just be doing lashes today, but like, where do you see your beauty empire going? Mm. Are you going to get into education? Are you going to get into entertainment, like podcasts, things like that? Do you want an apparel line? All of that stuff is stuff that don't know what you don't know. And you're not even thinking about that. Mm -hmm. So when you get with an attorney, they kind of broaden this. Okay, well, it's not blanket coverage. Dove soap versus Dove chocolate. They don't own the name Dove. They don't own the logo Dove for everything. And so working with an attorney really helps you decipher what all you need protection in for sure. Yeah, no, that's interesting. In fact, more I t listening to you makes me think that when we gave up our... <laughs> named Lashcon, maybe we didn't have to because it, it really, we were a conference and they were a product line and they, but our lawyer said, well, they'll just sue you the difference. So maybe I'll, I might have to come back to you and we'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> maybe we do have a <laughs> leg to stand on. Regarding that. Yeah. I mean, they did tell us stop using the name. So maybe they, it doesn't matter if they'd win. They just know they could outspend us. So when it comes to trademarks, what's the whole process? I mean, is it, there's a lot of work. Is it hours, years of your life? I mean, what does someone need to do to get going? I guess. The trademark process is a long process. It's really like a sit and wait game is what I like to call it because it doesn't take a ton of time to submit your paperwork. But then once you submit the paperwork, you're just sitting and waiting for a while. Mm -hmm. So I tell my clients, by the time that we submit your paperwork to the office, we're waiting about four to six months just for it to get assigned to an attorney to even look at the paperwork that we've submitted. Wow. So you're just sitting duck for four to six months. Then the attorney will look at it and they look over the paperwork. They see if there are any issues with what has been submitted. If there are no issues, it moves on to publication. Publication is a 30-day period where they publish, hey, Brianna wants to use this name in relation to whatever. And it allows the opportunity for those common law right people that we talked about, so people who may not have registered but have been using the name, an opportunity to oppose the registration. If everything goes good, no opposition, then it moves forward. If you're already using the name, then you move forward towards registration, you get your certificate. Sometimes during the process, the attorney that's examining it says, hey, this name is too similar to this name. So I'm going to deny it unless you give me a reason not to. And I call that's what's an office action. But I call that begging mom to let you spend the night another night at your friend's house. And, you know, mom's <laughs> like, no, you can't go. We got stuff to do tomorrow. I don't want you staying up late, being grouchy. We got to be there on time. And so then little you says, okay, mom, but I'm going to go to bed early. I promise to be in bed by eight. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You have to convince mom. So when you get an office action, it's very similar. You have to convince the attorney at the USPTO that your name is different enough, that you're not going to create consumer confusion, various things, depending on what the office action is. And then if you convince them, if mom says, okay, then you still move forward to publication and the same route. 
Yeah, we had that problem with Lashcast when we first put it out. I don't even remember what the discrepancy was, but they basically said something like, no, nah, we're not going to give it to you unless you can prove this or that. And I think they just wanted – they didn't see – I think when they looked at our podcast, they just didn't see the connection for some reason. So we had to resubmit, like, artwork and, you know, links to the website or to the – our websites for our podcast is super ugly. And so maybe that's why he didn't like us. Like, ah, look at this crappy website. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. But that said, I just remember it took a little, it took over a year because of that delay. Yeah. And so it was a slow, slow process, but it got done. Well, yeah. 12 to 18 months on average is about how long it's taking once you submit the paperwork. So, wow. yeah, it can take over a year to get everything done for sure. And how expensive is it? I mean, do people need to spend thousands of dollars, hundreds of dollars? What's the kind of range you'd say on average? It depends. Without an attorney, it's probably going to be about three fifty per class for whatever class you want to register in, right? Um, so I kind of do a main three for all beauty professionals. Typically, I am forward thinking. So we're going to do services, salon services. Typically, most people that I work with have some type of product line in their head or in the future. So I will try to get protection for that. And then Education. So many people in the beauty realm are now going on, you know, in the online space, doing online education, online coaching, all of that stuff. So I try to protect those three main things. Uh, so you're looking at 350 per class on those. If you work with an attorney, which I highly recommend, just kind of for the reasons we talked about previously, those hiccups, those forward thinking, all of that stuff. Attorney's fees on average range about fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred for the actual attorney services. All right, so it's it ain't cheap. You're gonna it's spend three, three to four thousand dollars. But and again, us as a bad example, if you lose your name, <laughs> how much really is that going to cost you? I mean, for us not being able to really be called Lashcon right now officially, like on paper, is painful. Actually, still, we're still like, oh my gosh, it's such a generic name now in fact our name is so generic we can't copyright it or trademark it the last conference i talked at least you could tell us but i was told it's like calling your company the grocery store you can't trademark grocery store because that's a generic term that everyone uses for grocery stores so you can't trade the last conference so we lost out <laughs> generic refusal yep that is one thing that your trademark can get refused for i always tell people it's an investment but it is one of the most important things you can do for your business. Because as beauty professionals, your brand is your baby. Your brand is your identity. People are searching you on Instagram based off of your brand name, or people are coming to you because they heard, oh, I go to, you know, whatever. And so you're building this brand. So if somebody comes along and steals it, well, then you're one, out the brand that you've built. And then two, they can tell you, all right, well, I own this name now. I want you to rebrand because I own it. So take down this website, stop using this logo, this and that. And so when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, the time, the energy that you put into building your brand, plus the money that you put out marketing, getting your website built, getting your logo designed, all of that stuff, it would really suck to not actually own it and have to rebrand at some point. That actually happened to some friends of ours. They didn't have the actual rights to use Sassy and the person who did sued, sued them. them for damages and they had to rebrand all of their products. I mean, they lost 
tens of thousands of hundred over a hundred thousand dollars because of that so that's a pretty expensive lesson to learn and mike and sean are very open about it so we're not sharing anything that no one knows they've talked about in their podcast they've shared the pain and suffering that they went through on this so yeah that was a very costly lesson and i think a lot of people for the first time in our industry realize that you know trademarking is like something essential. It's not like a maybe. It's not a maybe. It's the first thing that you should do. I tell people, you really need to start thinking about your trademark before you buy the domain name, before you get the logo, before you hire a web designer, before you ever market it out there in any way, because it's a lot cheaper to take a step back and rebrand at the, at the beginning than it is to rebrand a whole business that you've built way later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now for you, is there places that people can go? Like, do you suggest they do their own research or is that something when they hire a lawyer, you go out and do that research for them? Yeah. So I do, as part of my package, everyone goes through the same process. The first thing that we do is a comprehensive search. So we get on a one-on-one consultation. You tell me about your business. I ask those questions about where do you see it right now? Where do you see it in five years? What all do you want to do with the business? So I know what lane as I say, that you want to be registered in. So what classes you need to be registered in. And then I do all the research. I go out, I run a report, I look at the Google, I look at state registrations, all of that. And then I draft an opinion letter that says what your likelihood of success is. So it's usually rated low, moderate, or high risk. And if you're a high risk mark, I have that conversation with you. That's like, all right, (laughs) we got to take it back. Like we got to go back to the drawing board. It's not going to get registered. It's super unlikely. If you're moderate, it's really kind of like a 50, 50, you will get an office action. Can we overcome it? It's going to depend. And then if it's low risk, I don't really anticipate any problems. You come out with a really creative name. Nobody out there has anything that's similar to it. I think it's going to be smooth sailing. And that's how I do it. I think that's the best way to do it. If you were to go to the USPTO, you can technically do a search, right? You can do a very basic search. But the problem with that is a couple of things. One, if I was to type in Starbucks right now with two S's on the search engine, it's not going to give me a hit for Starbucks. If I was to go file for Starbucks with two S's, never going to get registered, right? Because too similar. But by doing a search on your own, you're going to miss those things that aren't directly on point, but are similar enough to block you. I see. Now, it makes total sense. Now, what about in the lash industry? There are certain names that are really popular, like Wink Lashes. I think there's a thousand of those. And I'm wondering if there's already a lot of names that are used. Can you still go in? Let's say that trademark was not taken. Let's say I haven't checked, but Wink Lashes, you go on and you find, wow, Wink Lashes was never trademarked. Can you go in and trademark it and claim it? even though maybe there's a hundred salons by that name, or is it so common use now that there's no way of really snagging that? So the argument would be common use, but it, it really is hard to have a name so common that it gets blocked for common, right? Like Q-tips are kind of an example. Like anytime that you use a Q-tip, you're thinking of the brand Q-tip, but we use it to use everything. So that's kind of like an example of something that's so common, right? Yeah. But The problem with going into trademark like a wink lashes would be you could send out cease and desist to all those people, but it's going to one, get really costly because the name is already diluted. And then two, there are probably people out there that have superior rights to that name than you. So if you have a wink lashes in Texas, California, Arizona, Nevada, all that West Coast, you could register for it, but they're going to oppose it and they're probably going to get West Coast. Uh, And then you might have a wink lashes maybe in Northeast and they have like their whole little Northeastern on deck. So then they might oppose that use of it. 
So those common law rights are there. And depending on how common the name is and how many states something's registered in, it might just kind of be a wash on your federal registration for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the, and that's a big thing too. This type of stuff all has to be paid up front. There's no pro bono, right? People aren't going just like, oh yeah, I'll work on this. And if we settle later for money with damages, we'll get paid. Like you have to pay up front like for a, all your lawyer fees. They right? need a retainer. Or- yeah, correct. Yeah. That's not going to be, what's an average retainer usually? Do you know what, I'm sure you have yours, but. Yeah, for litigation, so what would happen is somebody could do the trademark application, right? That's probably going to cost them, what do we say, $1,500, $2,500 to get your attorney to do that. So that's going to be for the application. Then you're going to get hit with an office action, most likely, if it's too similar to something else. So then you're going to pay another retainer for that office action portion of it. And then let's say common law people oppose it. So now you have to write an opposite, you know, you have to do that. So that's another fee. And then depending on how many people are opposing it, like for Winklash, maybe there's four or five different Winklash companies that are going to oppose it. You have to respond to every opposition. And so that's going to be that attorney's rate times, how many hours it's going to take to respond to all of those. So you're looking at, I would say probably like $10,000, $15,000, if not more. And if litigation continues, the numbers just get higher. Yeah, and that's why I was told to get just let go LashCon because they said they'll just drag it out. Even if you have the rights to it, they could probably find enough things to make you spend money that you'll be out twenty, thirty thousand dollars. And I was like, I don't have twenty, thirty thousand dollars. Life donate. is hard enough. Let it go. Yeah, we'll just we'll just pivot and find yeah. another way. <laughs> so, and I know there's another brand. This has happened with the company. I won't say who because this is only new new information I got. But their brand, their name, actually, they had to let go of the trademark because their name became so common. They trademarked this name like six, seven years ago when it wasn't so common. And then when they went back to refile, the attorney supposedly rejected it saying, yeah, this is just too generic now. Your brand has become kind of a common name in the industry for when we look at the last world. So sorry, you can't renew your brand or your trademark, which is really, really, I was very sad for him. (laughs) So I know it's unfortunate because when you become that industry leader that we talked about, that one that where you pick up, you know, a Q-tip that has cotton on the end of each side, you're like, oh, it's a Q-tip. It doesn't matter what brand name is on it. You're like, I need Q-tips. I'm going to the store to get Q-tips, right? Yeah. Or Vaseline, you know? I mean, just like yeah. there are just so many that you can think about. Band-Aid. Kleenex. Right? It doesn't matter what brand is on Band-Aid. You're thinking of Band-Aid. Yeah. So when it becomes such a generic term and generic use, then it does get diluted and it's no longer that unique thing that is unique to just your brand. Like Google, everyone's like, Google it. Okay, there is so many different search engines besides Google, but you always say, I don't know, Google it, you yeah. know? So it, it's yeah. unfortunate. DuckDuckGo really. Duck, doesn't sound as cool. DuckDuckGo it. It doesn't have the same Bing it. Ring. Yeah. Bing it, Bing it. No, sorry, not, not, I mean... Microsoft wishes Bing it was cool, but it just ain't. I just used the word ain't. Oh, well. Anyhow, so another thing I was wondering, which I found intriguing, was that it's not just your word. It's like if it has any confusion, right? If it confuses the brand in any way, it can just have part of your word. So if you have LashCon, or not LashCon, but a name that's part of a three words, but only the center name is for your brand, you could still not qualify because even though you're like, well, I'm the last conference, family last conference, whatever it is. And they're like, well, that sounds like the last conference. So adding family to it doesn't make it okay, right? You have to really, it has to be distinct. Right. So the really determining factor is consumer confusion. So your name has to be distinct enough that it is not going to create confusion for the consumer. So is it something that is 
part of a bigger trademark already. Then they're going to be like, well, they might think they've just shortened it, you know, or they might think whatever. So they might think that they're still getting the product or the service from that registered trademark, even though it's only one word or two words or the beginning of the trademark or the end of the trademark. Even things that don't necessarily sound alike, but may create the same commercial impression get barred too. So for example, uh, Geek Squad, everyone knows that's Best Buy's, you know, technical help, support, whatever. If somebody tried to register Nerd Squad for the same type of services, probably not going to get it because Geek and Nerd are very similar and they might be like, oh, I I called Nerd Squad. I thought for sure it was Best Buy. So they're not going to let another big chain electronic store use that for the same type of services. Yeah, I remember hearing about Momofuku's milk bar and they do like ice creams and confections and things like that. And another brand came up and they wanted to call it milk bar or milkshake bar or something like that. And they were denied that because it, even though it wasn't the same words, it just conjured up the same kind of feeling or impression. And, and it was right? confusing to people. So, well, I'll give you another example, not beauty related, but. And last time I checked, they were in litigation. I need to go back and and see so that I can give updates. But there was this very cute restaurant that I went into when I was living in San Diego. It was called Breakfast Bitch, okay? (laughs) And cute. Like, everything was, like, tipsy B, main B, side B, right? Like, it was all centered around this, this idea. And I was having a conversation with her, telling her I was attorney. She was asking about trademarks. It was actually really funny. Because it was before I was really doing trademarks, I was doing a different type of law at the time. But it was so interesting because she said that she was getting sued by a restaurant in Miami called Bacon Bitch. So very similar. Um, (laughs) The bacon one is actually the original one. They are like they predate the San Diego location. They are the same name except for that one word, obviously. And they're in litigation over it. They have like the same type of menu. I think one says drunk B, the other one's like tipsy B, but you know, like same mm-hmm. type of idea. Yeah. And they're off by one word, but what do they do? They create the same commercial impression. So people would go to the Miami one and go to San Diego and be like, oh, I didn't know they had a San Diego location. Got it. And that's what they're trying to prevent with trademarks, you know? The confusion, yeah. That's good. And I think there's a lot of that. And that's why I, I think with people, there's a, I think I've read the name of the book. It's called Awesome or something like that, or how to uh, name your brand. And this book really walks you through ideas of, for names. Like, don't just pick the typical Lovely Lash or, you know, Wink Lash. Those names are all either too generic, too many people already have it. You need to find something that's unique to you, that's distinctive. That's why I know for Sassy, they went from Sassy Lash to Live Bay, which is the first three layers of their two kids. So Live Bay, not going to find it anywhere. It's just a very unique word, and it's unique to them, and it makes them happy because it's referring to their children. And so it works really well for their brand. And I think for a lot of people um, who at first get into this, just think, oh, I just want to go with a cool Lash name. But we've been this industry has been around for almost 20 years now, like 17, 18 years. There's... A lot of names have been taken, so maybe it's time to be a little bit more creative and, and also to do your research. It sounds like, obviously, hiring a lawyer is a must. Would you advise people not to go with companies like LegalZoom that kind of automate this process? I'm assuming that those... Like forms of, that yeah, you just they fill out. They don't really probably do the, the real personal care and research that you need to be able to make sure it works. So here's the thing about LegalZoom and, and those types of things. I've got a couple of opinions. One is LegalZoom is going to file whatever information you input. 
right? So it is really like you doing it yourself. You're going to tell them how you want to register your mark. You're going to tell them what classes you want to register in. So you're not getting that one-on-one, hey, it needs to be registered in these three other classes, or hey, that's actually not really the right class for you to register in based off of what you're doing. You're not going to get that type of personalization. That's the first thing. The second thing is their fine print is going to tell you that it's not an attorney-client relationship. It is a document preparation company. So that's kind of the second thing. Mm. And then finally, if you get hit with an office action like we talked about, or if the attorney that's examining your application has questions, they're not going to be able to call up LegalZoom and get those questions answered. They're going to be calling you like, hey, I need this additional documentation. Hey, this proof of use that you sent in, this specimen that's showing you're using it in relation to your services, no good. I need you to send me another one. And they're going to do all that stuff and they're going to be talking to you directly. So it just really doesn't give you kind of the peace of mind, the sense of security as it would if you're using an attorney. It's kind of just one step up from doing it yourself, but you're paying extra money for someone else to just prepare your document. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I will admit my stupidity here. I started using LegalZoom on this and then I end up going to a lawyer. <laughs> so you, we paid twice anyway. Yeah. So it's not worth it. Yeah. I just realized after a while, like, okay, we don't I, have the I'm doing all the work. I'm, like, I'm paying the money and yet I literally did everything. And then I'm like, and I know that I don't know what I'm doing. And so I ended up hiring a lawyer. And even then after talking to you, I realized that lawyer didn't serve me well. I didn't get all the areas I should have covered, which I have to go back and do. We'll be talking. <laughs> so, <laughs> call me, huh? Yeah, we'll, we'll call. see, that's the cool thing about knowing somebody and knowing that they're competent and they know everything about their specialty. We've had other situations with a lawsuit and we just got really bad advice. And again, it's on us, you know, buyer beware, but you don't know what you don't know. So it's really comforting to talk to somebody who really has got it covered in the information area. Yeah. And I think for us, our biggest problem is always we try to save money. And I, almost always we try to save money up in the front and you pay it for it in the back end. It does happen that way. And it's one of those things I always tell people, you cannot be an expert in everything. And this is something that, you know, I will admit it has taken me a while to do myself, which is like, I, I do law. I do law very well. I can public speak. I do that pretty well too. Right. But marketing the actual graphic designs of things that I have to put on my Instagram or content creation for the Instagram, um, not good at, right? So I've had to learn myself to outsource things. And I think that every business needs to understand that some things just have to be outsourced. You can't DIY it on everything. And legal is definitely one of them because it requires a specific skill set, a specific expertise. So you got to get an attorney that you're comfortable with if you're going to go that route. And then two, get an attorney that knows your industry, because if you're going to a personal injury attorney to file your trademark, one, they don't know trademarks, and two, they don't know the beauty industry, right? So you can't have a wills and trust attorney do your trademark either. And even trademark attorneys that handle trademarks in general might not have that higher level thinking of like, okay, well, this is what a beauty pro might need in the future. Yeah, I've noticed that even attorneys in their profession, it really depends on really how hungry they are too. I mean, sometimes I've met lawyers who just, they're a bit older and they've been doing this long. It's all cut and paste for them at this point. They don't care. There's not a lot of passion for it. And they're a little cynical. (laughs) And you're just like, I don't know if that's someone I would want to work with. I one time worked with this one lawyer and he was just like, supposedly the best in the industry for what he was doing. He was horrible. He is customer service was atrocious. He was so 
just full of himself. And basically, I think he had retired 10 years ago. But, but at he this was point, still working. But still working. <laughs> you know, so it's like he lived off his reputation. And I was like, after we worked with him for a while, I'm like, never mind, I'm not working with you. I, I can't. I just can't. I need someone who's easy to talk to, someone's reachable. Yeah, maybe they don't have the, the same pedigree, like, oh, they've been doing this for 40 years. But I found there's some people who've been doing it for five or 10 years who are so hungry and they're totally on fire that they're, they're much more ready to help you and do the work and serve you than someone who's maybe got the reputation of 40 years, but maybe has got one foot in retirement already. So uh, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Anyhow, but um, I definitely but we should wrap up soon, but before we do, I want to let people open up their minds that really this is only one area that people need to be thinking about. Trademark is important, but there's a lot more to lawyering, have lawyers in your court, so to speak. Maybe you can real quickly give an overview. So people at least are beginning to open their minds up like, what else would I need a lawyer for? Because I don't think people really realize the kind of the scope of what's out there potentially legally for them to get in trouble with. So one of the things I like beauty professionals to do on the front end, right? Trademarks is one of them, but getting a business entity created. So business formation, particularly for most beauty professionals, an LLC is going to be the way to go. Uh, not in all cases, but it's a it's an easy one to do and it's an easy one to keep up with without a lot of the formalities of corporations and things like that. An LLC is going to protect your personal assets from your business assets. So if something goes bad in the salon or on a service and somebody sues you, they're suing your business, not you. And so your house is still okay. Your car is still okay. You know, savings that you have to open up your own salon or college savings for your kids, all of that is untouchable, assuming that you're operating your business like a business. So that's one thing that I think that people should really look into. Another thing is I know a lot of beauty professionals who are practicing without professional liability insurance. I strongly recommend that everyone gets professional liability insurance. That is just to protect you, again, in cases of claims, lawsuits, whatever. That's money that you pay into. It works just like car insurance. You pay every month. If something happens, they're going to cover you when it happens. And then your business bank accounts and contracts and waivers really are huge because your contracts and waivers are really going to be how you enforce your boundaries, enforce your no-shows, late cancellation policies, all of that stuff. I say this and I mean it in the nicest way possible, but if you are screenshotting your policies and sending them to your client, if you have them on a highlights reel and you're sending them to your client, you do not have policies, you have suggestions. Because <laughs> what happens when they no-show? Okay, so you're like, well, I screenshotted it, that, you know, my policy to them, they know it, I'm charging this card on file. Well, then when they go and do a chargeback, because they're like, what, I'm not paying the full set lashes. And the credit card company is going to say, okay, Rihanna, show me where they agreed to this policy. And you're going to be kind of SOL. You're gonna be like, well, I, I sent this to them. Okay, but where did they agree? So you need a contract that outlines all of your policies and have your client sign them. Intake forms, waivers, super important just because of liability purposes for your insurance, that professional liability insurance you should have. And then for lawsuits, if you ever get sued for something, they're going to say that you were negligent somehow. So by having those proper forms in place, getting the proper information, you can say, yeah, but I didn't know that they had this allergy. I gave them this intake form. They never said they were allergic to any of this stuff. Also, on this consent form, they knew that an allergic reaction was an adverse side effect that they might have. And they signed and said they understand all the risks and want to go forward with the procedure. Nothing I could have done outside of my hands 
it's going to be hard to prove negligence, right? So those are just some of the things that I think we should be looking at forward thinking as a beauty industry when it comes to doing that CYA for your beauty business in your pocket, really. This is a benefit to our listeners is is because you offer, you're the queen of forms for beauty professionals and beauty businesses. You offer a lot of these forms and intakes for us. Is is that right? Like, do you have a class or do you, is a subscription? How does it work? Yeah. So I have the done for you bundles that have, if you're a lash tech or a hairstylist or whatever industry you're in, it has all of the things that are specific to you. So a lash intake form, a lash consent form, your client services agreement that you can go in and edit on what your cancellation policy is, on what your no-show policy is, all that stuff. And then your photo release, because if you're taking before and after pictures and posting to your social media, you better be sure that you have a release from that client saying you can use it. Uh, Testimonial release, the same thing. If somebody's in your DMs saying, oh my God, love my lashes, best lash tech I've ever been to, and you're screenshotting that and using it again for advertising purposes, you want to make sure you have that consent as well. Mm-hmm. So all of that's plug and play. The cool thing about it is I update those at the end of every year. Sometimes there are major updates. Sometimes there aren't really, but I do review them at the end of every year. And if people have been having problems in client relations or, you know, this is happening or this, sometimes I'll add a clause to that client services agreement. And then, you know, at the beginning of the year, oh, clauses have been updated. Let me see, like, you know, was this something that got updated or not? And so you get that reassurance that you have that updated form every year. So that's cool. As far as LLCs getting all of the legalities done for your business, I do a boot camp that takes you from beauty pro to CEO in six weeks. And it really goes through everything for you. LLCs, insurance, accounting, business bank accounts, consent forms, intellectual property, all that stuff. So those are some ways that you can work with me now. In the future, I'm going to probably do a membership that's going to help with legal and making it easily accessible for the beauty preneur, the beauty business, so that you kind of can have that attorney in your back pocket for not the huge attorney price tag. So that's something I'm looking really forward to for later on in this year to work with the beauty professionals and and get everybody legally legit and protected. That's great. And I think that's something that I wish we had when we got started. I mean, we oh, we understood we understood the insurance stuff and we even got uh, as a LLC originally the the person we worked with told us to be an S corp and later on other people were like oh, I should get out of that. You should have been an LLC, but at least we were protected. <laughs> but it was it wasn't the best from what I talked to some other people later on because we didn't know what we were doing. We were just like whatever you we want. We did we'll not just... know what we were doing. So I think having informs and waivers. I, exactly. I tell people this all the time. It's like people go ahead and say uh, I have a cancellation policy, and, and I'm like, yeah, but if you don't have them actually agree to that, as soon as they reach out to Visa, Visa will always side with them unless you can show them in writing that they agree. Boom, that they here they go. They agree if they know showed canceled that they would pay for this but most people don't have that they just oh, i took their credit card and file or worse i wrote it down or <laughs> something and don't even have it protected or encrypted anywhere and i just charged it so that's a whole other world of problem if they ever those uh, information gets out or released uh, they have the insurance for that too but that said uh i think for people to understand there's a whole world here that they probably are not aware of and the the downsides are so huge and so painful that it's just better to put the money up front. I get it. I remember when we were starting, it, man, every bill just seemed so painful to pay. But there is a lot of benefit here to get some of these big rocks in the right place from the get-go 
so then you can build a very strong, successful business with insurance, with good waivers, with, with a good formation, with the LLC, and also having the legal protections with your name and all that type of stuff. I think someone like Henry Rihanna would be a, just a wonderful thing or a smart move for you guys. So we've really gotten to know Rihanna just barely lately. I mean, I had her speak, and, I, and I only because I heard her somewhere else, I said, well, she's amazing. I, I'll just trust she'll do great. And then I heard all these good things afterwards. that people like, oh, that session with her was awesome. So um, she's the real deal. She has a lot to offer our industry, which is why she's here again. And uh, hopefully, uh, I guess we can put this in our show notes. We can put your website. Can you tell people where they can find you, how they can reach out to you? Yes. So everyone can find me on Instagram at she trademarks. That is the Instagram where I share all kinds of gems, drop knowledge for beauty professionals, a lot of free resources on there. And then on the internet at she trademarks.com. Same thing. That's where you can get all your consent forms, intake forms. If you want to work with me one-on-one for trademarks, or I do business consulting. If you're like, Hey, I've got these questions on how my business is set up. Can I just hop on a call with you and go over that? I offer 45 minute phone calls on stuff like that as well. And I just am really excited to work with everybody, get out there, help the brand. So if you have questions, follow me on Instagram, send me a DM. I always like to get info on what I think the beauty professionals need. So I know how to better help the community. And just to be clear, can you spell your Instagram handle? Is it street or C? She trademark. C-S-H-E. Okay. And then trademark. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And then as far as we'll put those links in the show notes so people can find you. And you said your program, is that up and going or is that down the road? You're going to be having the program like the boot camp and all that. So the boot camp, actually, the first round just closed on Saturday. We're starting next Sunday for that cool. first six weeks. I don't know when it's going to make its way back for a live round, probably sometime, maybe late summer. Okay. But if it's something that I get a lot of interest in, we might bring it back sooner. I don't know yet, but definitely something that I want to kind of keep doing because it's the, I think, easiest way for people to get all their stuff done at one time and just right. kind of check it off and not have to really think about it again. Yeah, I'll just say as a business owner, I think the number one problem is is having way too many things to do. <laughs> and so you really need someone to walk alongside you to make sure you do the things that are most important. That's why coaching is so important for businesses to have someone there who's higher up, kind of looking at the big picture and has been down that road and say, by the way, these are the priorities you need to take care of. Because I know for us, we were doing everything backwards. And I've talked to a lot of salons who have been around for a while. Yeah, they all started and then they kind of went backwards and redid it. But if you are new to the business, this is a great way to get started. And even if you're not new, you were like us and you still needed to go back and get things set right. This sounds like a great option. And I guess what we can do is people can reach out to you, email you, DM you. And obviously if there's enough interest, you it sounds like we can might get people to open up sooner than uh, summer, but if not, hopefully they'll follow you. Can, yeah. they, can they be on a wait list or anything if they email you or like that? Sure. I can put them on the wait list. If um, they email me with interest in the program, I can definitely do that. Start a wait list. And then once we get a good amount of people, we can probably open up sooner. I just have so many ideas for ways to help the beauty professionals that I'm like, I have to stop one thing and I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to work on this. But if the interest is there, I'm always happy to do stuff like that. Great. No, I think it's wonderful. And I'm glad I'm thankful for you so being in our industry because we really don't I think you're kind of a standalone. You're, you're very unique. You're a unicorn. <laughs> I do. Before we get off, have to give a disclaimer yeah. that I am licensed in the state of California and Georgia. And so anything that I have said today 
is not to be construed as legal advice, but is more for educational and informational purposes only. And no attorney-client privilege has been created by anything that I've said today or listening of this podcast. Very well said. So formal. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So legal. I have to do yeah. it exactly yes. how it's supposed to be done. Yes. You know, it's the lawyer in me. You can yeah. turn her down mm-hmm. sometimes, but... <laughs> we maybe should, I don't know. Maybe we should have that claim just for our podcast in general. Hey, guys, by the way, nothing we give here is medical advice or legal, or legal advice. advice because yeah. I know that we talk about a lot of things and I think a lot of times it can be construed and, and used. Who knows? Oh, that's, Who a good knows? Idea. that's not a bad yeah. idea. We will have disclaimers are great to have. I, one, it's funny. I was telling somebody the other day that you don't think about this, but is your Instagram creating a warranty that if somebody says, Hey, I want these volume lashes and they show you a picture and then you do those volume lashes and they don't come out exactly the same way as their Instagram picture have you created a warranty? And I was telling somebody a disclaimer that says uh, a warranty disclaimer saying that, you know, on the Instagram, it's a portfolio. You're not going to get the exact same result. So disclaimers are everywhere. They should be anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That's a really good point and some, some more food for thought. But otherwise, thanks so much for taking time to hang out with us today. It's been extremely helpful. Hopefully people will go follow you, check out your services, and hopefully not just check them out, but sign up for them because I really don't think there's a lot of people who have the beauty background like you have so that you are not only knowledgeable, but you're also very empathetic, I think, to our industry. Yeah, I hope so too. Thanks you guys for having me. It's been great. We've covered a lot of stuff. Yeah, been a pleasure. Thanks so much. guys that's a wrap we are all done we are out of here thank you so much for hanging out with us today i want to ask you to please follow us on instagram at lashcast podcast and at the lash conference and remember to subscribe share and review and go get your tickets now do not delay guys I've never seen as much excitement about LashCon as this year, and I think we're going to sell it out. That means we're going to have six, seven, eight hundred people at LashCon. It's going to be crazy. So go buy your tickets today. Links in the show notes, or just go to our Instagram or go to the website, thelashconference.com. On behalf of my Lash Ninja, Tusney, as well as our special guest, Rihanna, I want to thank you for taking some time to listen. Keep on lashing, and remember, you have a friend in the lash industry.